From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. I hope you are having a wonderful Christmas. And I say having because I like to squeeze as much out of this time of year as possible, not letting the celebration of Christmas go. I also understand that, you know, while Christmas is a joyful celebration for many, it is also a time when the absence of a loved one is felt even more acutely. There may have been an empty seat or two around your Christmas table yesterday. Our family has experienced those losses in the last year because of the passing of a loved one. It is okay to miss them and to, to grieve that, but we can do so even with a sense of joy, especially when we know that we will see those loved ones again. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we do not sorrow as others who do not have the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Well, unfortunately, there are other forms of separations that families have experienced. Families have been divided over issues. One of those issues is the radical gender ideology that has literally turned children against their parents. And it's turned them against their parents because their parents refuse to turn from and deny the truth of God's word that we are created in his image. Well, today we're going to explore that topic and a little bit more as we look in, in part, at one mom's journey. And let me just say, in front of you miss any of today's program, I encourage you to, uh, to check it out later at TonyPerkins.com. Well, this past September, Family Research Council and FRC Action held our annual Pray Vote Stand Summit, drawing Christian voters from all across America to our nation's capital. It was a phenomenal event. And if you missed it or want to revisit any part of it, you can Check out all the great content from the summit at prayvotestand.org. All the panels and keynote speakers are archived right there. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. Well, among the sessions at the summit was a powerful panel on the gender battle that we're seeing playing out all across America. It featured Missouri State Attorney General Andrew Bailey, Christian Post writer and commentator Brandon Showalter, FRC's Center for Family Studies Director, Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer Bowens, and parent activist Amy Atterbury. Uh, and to start off this discussion, I turn to Amy, who is the mother of a trans-identifying daughter, and she shared her story with us. Here is how that began. Well, Amy, I'm going to begin with you, who as a, a, a mom and as a father of five children, I I just know how there's nothing more we love than our children. And you had to walk through this experience at a, at a time when it was not yet a common one. You were very much alone. Tell us about that. Okay. It is an honor and a privilege to be here today. So thank you for having me. I'm not new to this fight. I have been speaking out about the medical atrocities that are happening to children and young people for several years now. I've shared my daughter's story many times, and I'm going to share it again today. God blessed me with a beautiful baby girl nearly 24 years ago. It was apparent from an early age that she was exceptionally intelligent. She spoke her first word at five months of age, which was ama. By 10 months of age, she had a vocabulary of over 25 words. My daughter was a happy child. She won a prayer warrior award at Sunday school. She loved twirling around in her beautiful dresses. She laughed often, said funny things, and was full of wonderment about everything. Most of all, she was full of love, whether it be toward people or animals. At age 14, she announced that she was a boy. I had no idea that the gender identity indoctrination that had been going on in school had impacted her. I had no idea that she was visiting websites that were further indoctrinating her into what I refer to as the the trans cult. I thought she was going through a phase that would pass, as has been traditionally common with teenage girls. That didn't happen. The next few years were extremely difficult. I tried everything I could to help her realize that she was not a boy and it wasn't possible to change her sex. There was no help available. In fact, adults in authority validated her false belief that she was a boy. 
At age 16, my daughter ran away from home because I would not allow her to go on wrong sex hormones. However, she was able to find a pediatric endocrinologist who taught her how to inject herself with testosterone. Shortly before she turned 17, she went to Portland, Oregon, moved in with the Glitter family, after which she bounced around to homeless shelters and sometimes stayed with friends. She was able to change her name and biological sex marker in court and obtained a government-issued identification card that reflected that she is male. In my opinion, this is a fraudulent document. Mm. My physically healthy daughter underwent a double mastectomy and hysterectomy at age 17. Without my consent and without my knowledge, I found out about the mastectomy on social media where she posted a photo of herself with bloody bandages covering where her breasts used to be. She wrote another post about her radical hysterectomy. My Saturday left me as I cried endlessly for months. I had many thoughts about the doctors, as most parents would. I cried out to God and heard back via a very strong thought that said, put down the sword and pick up the pen, which is what I did. It was at that point that I connected with many other parents who were also going through the same thing, and I found out that this was happening to thousands of children I connected with different organizations who were fighting against this. I found out this wasn't just happening in the United States, but in many other countries as well. In 2019, at age 19, my daughter underwent a radial arm phalloplasty. I did everything in my power to stop, but failed to do so. The day before her phalloplasty, at her request, we went to Build-A-Bear Workshop, where she picked out a stuffed animal that would comfort her after her surgery. I was there for 13 hours, pacing the floor with absolute rage boiling through me, knowing what butchers disguised as doctors were doing to my precious daughter. A few weeks later, I, along with another group of parents who belonged to the Kelsey Coalition, had some meetings in DC, hoping that if we shared our stories, laws would be changed. I reported that my daughter's surgeries were covered by Medicaid, even though she had private insurance that was bypassed. To my knowledge, no action was ever taken. Here we are, four years later, and so-called gender clinics, which I call butcher shops, have proliferated. Unfortunately, the United States leads the world in sacrificing children on the altar of gender ideology, of mutilizing of mutilating and sterilizing children. What has happened to our country? My dear sweet mother was called to heaven a little over a month ago. My mother was a godly woman with incredible strength and faith, even after four of her children, three of her grandchildren, and my father were called home before her. Her dying wish was that God would use her death to bring my daughter back. Thankfully, my daughter is in permanent housing now and doing somewhat well. I had not seen her since her foul plastic in 2019, but she came to my mother's service. She sat by me and held my hand. She stood by me as I spoke about my mother. I looked past my daughter's beard and facade, and what I saw is that she still has light in her beautiful eyes. My sweet daughter is still there. I believe in my heart and soul that my daughter will one day realize what has been done to her. I believe in miracles. I asked my daughter what she thinks about detransitioners. She said she thinks they need a lot more help than they are getting. I think so, too. There are now thousands of young people living with regret over making medical decisions that should have never been available to make. There are very few resources for them. My dream is to have a healing retreat built for detransitioners. In fact, I would like to see many such places built. The need for this is great. I envision a beautiful retreat where these young people can begin the healing process and connect with resources to help them heal. To be clear, I have no money, no business plan, and no idea how to go about building a healing haven. But what I do have is a beautiful vision, faith, hope, and most of all, love. Is anyone willing to help me help others?
Thank you, Amy. Amy, thank you for sharing a very personal story. I, 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 but I want, I want to ask you, for, for those you know, and I'm going to go branded you in a moment, as you mentioned, it's not isolated. Correct. There are many, many parents that are facing this, and, and some maybe for the very first time they just got this, and it's, it, it is expanding. I, mean, we, I said we're, we're seeing a pushback, but it's still on the, the ascend. What would you say to those parents, uh, grandparents that are first hearing this, what advice would you give them knowing what you know now? Get them away from technology. Love them. They may swear at you. They may say terrible things to you. Do not react in anger. React in love. Get them back to nature. Back to God. It is those external messages that are, that are just, we talk about indoctrination, but it is, it is leading their minds. It is it's kind of what the scripture says about think on those things which are right. And they're thinking our, our, our children are being exposed to all of that which is wrong and evil and upside down. Yes, sir. Thank you, Amy. Uh, Brandon, I want to go to you because you've been reporting on this issue for a while. And as Amy said, this is not isolated. What have you found? Uh, We need to dispel the notion that this is somehow a rare occurrence. Um, The latest figures that I've seen with respect to the surgeries, these which I regard as medical atrocities that are worthy of being adjudicated at a Nuremberg-like tribunal, honestly. Um, Let's just say that. The, the latest figures that I've seen, Daily Mail reported this, as did a few other outlets out of JAMA Network, Open the Medical Journal. Uh, these surgeries have, on young people have tripled in the last few years, uh, over 1,200 per year. And I crunched the numbers. If you divide 1,200 by 261, that's annual business days, that's 4.6 young people, ages 18 and younger, being surgically mutilated in service to a lie per weekday. And if the medical atrocities weren't horrific enough, This is a family fracturing scourge. I have lost count how many desperate, anguished moms and dads who have reached out to the Christian Post as I've been on this beat for close to seven years now. And as evidence of that, we're about to see a trailer. I was honored to be featured in this indie documentary. Everybody write this down. DeadNameDocumentary.com. It profiles three families that have been shattered. Again, DeadNameDocumentary.com. This will give you a taste of their anguish. I think it's important for us as Christians to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And until we familiarize familiarize ourselves with what they have gone through, and this is affecting Republicans, Democrats, Christians, non-Christians, the whole spectrum, until we get a taste of their agony, I don't think we're going to be able to locate the spiritual and moral resources that we need to resist this scourge, this child abuse scourge, this medical scandal. You're listening to a special edition of Washington Watch. That was Brandon Showalter of the Christian Post, preceded by parent activist Amy Atterbury during the most recent Pray Vote Stand Summit. More Washington Watch on its way right after this break. Don't go away. For 40 years, Family Research Council has been in Washington, D.C., championing faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture from a biblical worldview. But it isn't easy. As the culture continues to become increasingly divided, believers must continue defending biblical truth while many on the left wish to silence and marginalize Christians. Will you join us? Your financial support has never been more important. Thanks to your partnership, we can continue to reach more Americans with the important news from Washington, D.C. Equip believers to stand firm in our culture and defend biblical truth in the halls of government. Every donation we receive will go towards preserving and advancing policies for a culture that honors faith, family, and freedom. To give, text the word GIVE to 67742. Again, text GIVE to 67742.
Don't miss Family Research Council's new podcast, Outstanding. Brought to you by FRC's team at The Washington Stand, this podcast is designed to examine top news stories and cultural issues from a distinctly biblical worldview with an aim to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Join host and senior fellow for biblical worldview, Joseph Backholm, as he examines recent developments and cultural phenomena through the lens of Scripture and explores how Christians should respond. New guests join the podcast every week to unpack the headlines and discuss what's going on in the world. Topics range from recent political developments to social issues and spiritual battles. We invite you to follow along with these critical conversations as we release new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You don't want to miss it. To listen, go to WashingtonStand.com slash podcast slash outstanding and be sure to look for the Outstanding Podcast on your favorite podcasting app today. Join Family Research Council's Association of Churches and Ministries, a community of pastors and ministry leaders united in refusing to hide their faith in Jesus from those that would try to silence us. As we face an increasingly hostile culture, the Association of Churches and Ministries provides invaluable resources and a powerful platform to grow and be equipped for the ministry God has entrusted to you. Together, we will stand firm, united in faith. Visit acm.frc.org and become a member today. If you're a young adult passionate about seeing biblical values championed in our country, check out Family Research Council's internship program. This three-month program is both a discipleship and development opportunity where you get to take part in truly meaningful work and help advance faith, family, and freedom in public policy and our culture. Featuring hands-on experience, biblical worldview training, free housing, and more, this internship is a great opportunity for spiritual and professional development. Check out frc.org slash internships to apply today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Today, we're broadcasting special content from this year's Prevote Stand Summit that was held in Washington, D.C. this past September. Among the many sessions that were held at the summit was one on the gender battle, during which we heard the story of Amy Atterbury the mother of a trans-identifying daughter. Also highlighted during the session was uh, a documentary that tells the story of three parents whose lives have been shaken and forever altered because their children declared or were given a transgender identity. Before previewing the documentary, I turned to Brandon Showalter of the Christian Post, who has reported on the trans issue for about seven years. Here is what Brandon had to say. Brandon, I want to go to you because you've been reporting on this issue for a while. And as Amy said, this is not isolated. What have you found? Uh, We need to dispel the notion that this is somehow a rare occurrence. Um, The latest figures that I've seen with respect to the surgeries, these which I regard as medical atrocities that are worthy of being adjudicated at a Nuremberg-like tribunal, honestly. Um, Let's just say that. The, the latest figures that I've seen, Daily Mail reported this, as did a few other outlets out of JAMA Network, Open the Medical Journal. Uh, these surgeries have, on young people have tripled in the last few years, uh, over 1,200 per year. And I crunched the numbers. If you divide 1,200 by 261, that's annual business days, that's 4.6 young people, ages 18 and younger, being surgically mutilated in service to a lie per weekday. And if the medical atrocities weren't horrific enough, This is a family fracturing scourge. I have lost count how many desperate, anguished moms and dads who have reached out to the Christian Post as I've been on this beat for close to seven years now. And as evidence of that, we're about to see a trailer. I was honored to be featured in this indie documentary. Everybody write this down. DeadNameDocumentary.com. It profiles three families that have been shattered. Again, DeadNameDocumentary.com. This will give you a taste of their anguish. I think it's important for us as Christians to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And until we familiarize, familiarize ourselves with what they have gone through, and this is affecting Republicans, Democrats, Christians, non-Christians, the whole spectrum, until we get a taste of their agony, I don't think we're going to be able to locate the spiritual and moral resources that we need to resist this scourge, this child abuse scourge, this medical scandal. Um, so, again, deadnamedocumentary.com and the trailer. Yeah. You can you still see it in its fullness. Please turn your attention to the screen. 
parts and you don't have them, you can do special surgery where they turn your penis inside out and there's a vagina inside. Preschool sends out a letter to all the parents announcing one of our students is now Rosa and we would love you all to come and celebrate and support her. And he was four years old. I didn't even know if he knew what a pronoun was. I go to the daycare a week later uh, to, to drop him off. And it's Rosa is written on the entrance sheet where I have to sign. Rosa's on his cubby. It, it's everywhere. And they would just look at me and listen. They would say, Helen, you should really learn to accept this and celebrate it. And I'm like, celebrate what? Celebrate that my child's going to be put on hormones and... His penis will never grow, and he'll never have a normal sex life, and he'll be on drugs for the rest of his life. I'm invisible, like I have no control that this is my child, that, uh, but completely helpless. I just didn't know what to do at that point. This was when she was like 15. Um, I remember being up in her room, and she said, I'm trans, and I need a new name. It wasn't organic. This isn't something that just came out of her. Like if I had seen that, that she was had struggles through when she was a toddler or a young girl, like I would be prepared for something. But this was not organic. This just came from somewhere and swept her away. Somehow I got a text from CVS. Your, your prescription for TES is available. She's like, it's mine. You can't take it from me. A doctor prescribed it to me. You can get this by making a phone call and having a tele-appointment. I mean, there was no psychological evaluation. There was nothing. This is like a crime against humanity, okay? Where does our species go if, if you can cut off your body parts like this? Sean had set up a, a appointment with an endocrinologist at the hospital to try to get hormones. I'm looking at it as, hey, this kid just needs explained to him. Hey, he's had a lot of traumatic events through his life, you know, losing his leg. We had an older son that died of a heroin overdose when he was eight years old. He went through loss of his mom, being diagnosed with cancer. I mean, we, I went through all, I said, all these things have to have a big effect on him. When I had the appointment with the psychiatrist, I was just blown away when she turned around and told me that he's definitely transgender um, and you are an unsupportive, abusive father to not, to it identify that. How the affirmative model ever got approved is just mind-boggling. Obviously, people are proving stuff they don't understand because when you, if they understood it, I can't imagine anybody saying that this is okay. How's a psychiatrist not see the obvious? I'm trying to keep them alive and they're, what they're pushing would kill them. This ideology ruined everything it touches. And that the heartbreak and the devastation of parents and families was just staggering. To be forced to watch the slow motion dissociation and disintegration, chemical disintegration sometimes, of their own children was just like living in a horror movie. And that has only increased through the years. That has just gotten worse. Wow. DeadNameDocumentary.com. Please go see it. Watch it. Share it with your friends. Help parents understand. This is something churches need to be addressing. We need to, pastors need to be preaching on this and teaching what the Word of God has to say. You're listening to a special Washington Watch as we look back on this past September's Pray Vote Stand Summit. If you'd like to see more of the highlights from our 2023 summit that was held in Washington, D.C., simply go to prayvotestand.org. Of course, we've got more straight ahead. But before we take a break, let me just remind you, we're coming up to the end of our year. And Washington Watch, a ministry of the Family Research Council, which is a Bible-believing, practicing organization in our nation's capital, we are here because of and for folks like you who love God and want to live your lives and raise your children according to the truth. So join with us. Simply go to TonyPerkins.com or text GIVE to 67742. And for any gift over $30, we'll send you a new Stand on the Word journal. Don't go away. We're back after this. 
Most of us have wrestled with deep questions about the meaning of life at one time or another. Questions like, why are we here? What has gone wrong with our world? Is there any hope? And how does it all end? Thankfully, David Clausen, director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, has carefully answered each of these tough questions in his latest publication titled, An Introduction to Worldview. With 81% of evangelical church attendees claiming to hold a biblical worldview and only 21% actually holding a biblical worldview, resources like this are more important than ever. With this new resource, we invite you, your family, and your church to evaluate what makes up a worldview and to see how a biblical worldview provides the most satisfying answers to life's biggest questions. To read the full publication and to see other resources from FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview, visit frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Don't miss Family Research Council's new podcast, Outstanding. Brought to you by FRC's team at The Washington Stand, this podcast is designed to examine top news stories and cultural issues from a distinctly biblical worldview with an aim to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Join host and senior fellow for Biblical Worldview, Joseph Backholm, as he examines recent developments and cultural phenomena through the lens of Scripture and explores how Christians should respond. New guests join the podcast every week to unpack the headlines and discuss what's going on in the world. Topics range from recent political developments to social issues and spiritual battles. We invite you to follow along with these critical conversations as we release new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You don't want to miss it. To listen, go to WashingtonStand.com slash podcast slash outstanding and be sure to look for the Outstanding Podcast on your favorite podcasting app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. And the website, TonyPerkins.com. Well, today we're broadcasting content from the 2023 Pray Vote Stand Summit. And uh, during the summit, we had a panel discussion on the gender battle. And in the last two segments, we've highlighted the real impact it has when it hits home. Well, in this next part, you'll hear from Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who will discuss what he has been doing in response and what others can do. Here is how that began. Attorney General Bailey, I want to thank you for being here, and uh, I want to thank you for your leadership on this. You were one of the first to take on what Amy was talking about, the, the medical establishment that literally has turned medicine on its head with this. You took on Washington University in your state, That's an elite school that's been ranked as one of the top schools in the country on medical and psychological uh, practices. A whistleblower there exposed something. You began to look into it. You had an all-hands-on-deck investigation. What have you found, and what has been the result? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and thank you for shining the light of truth on this issue and for the, the courage and leadership from my fellow panelists on this issue. You know, I start from the premise... How dare anyone tell these children that God put them in the wrong body? We know he doesn't make mistakes. So when we received the whistleblower affidavit, that's sworn testimony. That's evidence uh, from someone who has a lot of credibility. This is an individual who volunteered to work at a transgender pediatric clinic, believed in transgender rights, wanted to further the transgender movement, and what she saw concerned her enough that she was willing to put her name on the line, uh, subject herself to scrutiny, and called it what it is, which is child abuse. Uh, You know, the allegations and the evidence that we have are serious. It's nothing short of child sterilization. Families that come into these clinics, children who come into these clinics and suffer from gender dysphoria, were too often prescribed puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones or referred for irreversible, dangerous surgeries without any access to psychiatry or psychology. So the question becomes, why are we treating this mental health condition differently than others? Why are we racing towards hormonal treatments and irreversible surgeries in this context and depriving these patients of access to more traditional mental health services? And so we, we've continued to push that investigation forward. You know, we called for a moratorium at the state level on, these, on the clinic, and the clinic uh, refused said that they were the only clinic uh, that provided these services in the state of Missouri. That was a lie. That was nothing short of a lie. A a further investigation revealed there was a shadowy and clandestine network of these clinics operating across the state of Missouri to include Planned Parenthood facilities. 
So it was important for us to take action. We promulgated an emergency rule, the first of its kind in the nation, to try to put some guardrails on this and, and, and inject some sanity into this conversation and stand in the gap until our General Assembly was able to enact a statute. Uh, as soon as the statute was signed into law by our governor, the ACLU sued. Uh, we went to court, and I'm proud to say Missouri is the first state in the nation to have successfully defended this statute at the trial court level and put an end to the sterilization <laughs> What would you recommend to other states that are, again, this, is, this has been going on, but it's been beneath the surface, but there's been a lot of exposure now because of moms and dads like, like Amy who have spoken out and the work that Brandon and others have done. What would you recommend to these other states? Yeah, have, have the courage to call this what it is. It is not health care. There's nothing gender-affirming about what is going on at these clinics. It is the sterilization of children, and the, the, the detransitioners, my heart goes out to them, they are victims of a system. So having the courage to call this what it is, to use the power of uh, the apparatus of your state statutes, to, to go after the wrongdoers and hold them accountable. And again, so, so grateful for the leadership on this stage and, and you having shined the light of truth on this and allowing us to have these kind of conversations. This is maybe a little bit beyond your area of, uh, of focus. It is beyond your area of focus, but I'm, I'm just wondering if... If this is an area where we may see litigation from the detransitioners where trial lawyers who, who are always looking for those dollar signs might see the opportunity to hold this rogue medical community available. Uh, Absolutely, accountable. yeah. How did they ever get medical malpractice insurance in the first place for experimental procedures? There are zero FDA approvals for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones in the treatment of gender dysphoria. Zero clinical assessments showing that these surgeries are safe or effective to treat gender dysphoria. And that's one of the provisions, you know, and again, from my perspective, one of the, the th you know, advice I would hand off to the next state that's going to undergo uh, this process, I would say, attack the issue and envelop it. You know, a lawsuit and yeah. investigation are just components of a larger strategy to envelop the is issue. Senate Bill 49, which we successfully defended at the trial court level, was the statute that our General Assembly enacted. And it provides a, a private cause of action. And it extends the statute of limitation for private claims up to 15 years. Because a lot of times, yes. the, the health con negative health Very consequences good. aren't fully realized until much later in life. And so having that 15-year statute of limitations is a key component. And between the investigation that we've launched, the litigation, and that provision, what you're seeing is these clinics are, are surrendering. The, we've received the articles of surrender because they realize that the liability has gotten to a point, an unacceptable point for them. You're listening to a special edition of Washington Watch, and that was Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey speaking at a session we had at the 2023 Prevote Stand Summit this past September if you missed any of that summit, you can find it all archived at prayvotestand.org. Now, let me just ask you this. Would you consider partnering with the Family Research Council as we enter 2024? Well, to join us, simply go to TonyPerkins.com or text GIVE to 67742. And for any gift over $30, we'll send you our new Stand on the Word journal. And you can join us in our upcoming journey through the Bible. Again, just text GIVE to 67742. 742 or go to TonyPerkins.com. After the break, we'll finish out the panel discussion that we had on the gender battle. So stick around. A lot more Washington Watch still to come. Are you a pastor or ministry leader? Then join Family Research Council's Association of Churches and Ministries. This community is for pastors and ministry leaders who are united in refusing to hide their faith in Jesus from those that would try to silence us. Together, we choose to stand on God's word, no matter the cost. As we face an increasingly hostile culture, the Association of Churches and Ministries provides a powerful platform to come together, grow, and be equipped for the ministry God has entrusted to you. By joining this collective, you gain exclusive access to invaluable resources, updates from Washington, D.C. to your leadership and ministry team, special discounts on FRC events, and much more. Together, we will stand firm, united in faith, unyielding in truth. Don't miss your chance to be a part of something greater. 
Visit acm.frc.org and become a member today. Are you passionate about living out your faith in the public square? Are you invested in rebuilding America's spiritual foundations? We are too. Here at Family Research Council, we have made it our mission to champion the kingdom of God by advancing faith, family, and freedom in our nation and culture. Would you consider joining us? Each day, we work to educate spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, proclaim truth on cancel-resistant platforms, promote a biblical worldview in public policy and culture, and engage believers to get involved. Together, we can work towards a prevailing culture in which all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. To get involved, you can donate to FRC by texting the word GIVE to 67742. Again, text GIVE to 67742. Are you tired of the mainstream media censoring Christian and conservative voices? Are you looking for news about the most important topics of the day presented to you through the lens of biblical truth? FRC has the answer. The Washington Stand. The Washington Stand is Family Research Council's outlet for news and commentary from a biblical worldview, covering issues from abortion, sexuality, and religious liberty, to education, to what's happening on Capitol Hill and around the world. The Washington Stand reports on the top stories affecting faith, family, and freedom that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. Subscribe today to receive the latest news from the Washington Stand in your inbox every weekday morning by texting TWS to 67742 or by visiting WashingtonStand.com. Again, that's TWS to 67742. It's beginning to look a lot. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com, and I hope you're enjoying this time of year. I want to thank you for tuning in. This is a, a special program as we look back on some of the outstanding content from the 2023 Pray Vote Stand Summit that was held this past September in Washington, D.C. We had a tremendous lineup of speakers who addressed a number of topics that are current pressing topics. And you can find actually all of it at prayvotestand.org. Well, to close out today's special edition, uh, we're going to finish up with our, our session on the gender battle, starting with Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey's advice to other states. Here is what he had to share. What would you recommend to other states that are Again, this, is, this has been going on, but it's been beneath the surface. But there's been a lot of exposure now because of moms and dads like, like Amy who have spoken out and the work that Brandon and others have done. What would you recommend to these other states? Yeah, have, have the courage to call this what it is. It is not health care. There's nothing gender-affirming about what is going on at these clinics. It is the sterilization of children and the, the, the detransitioners. My heart goes out to them. They are victims of a system. So having the courage to call this what it is, to use the power of uh, the apparatus of your state statutes to, to go after the wrongdoers and hold them accountable. And again, so, so grateful for the leadership on this stage and, and you having shined the light of truth on this and allowing us to have these kind of conversations. This is maybe a little bit beyond your area of, uh, of focus. It is beyond your area of focus. But I'm, I'm just wondering if, if this is an area where we may see litigation from the detransitioners where trial lawyers who who are always looking for those dollar signs might see the opportunity to hold this rogue medical community available uh, absolutely yeah how did they ever get medical malpractice insurance in the first place for experimental procedures there are zero fda approvals for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones in the treatment of gender dysphoria. Zero clinical assessments showing that these surgeries are safe or effective to treat gender dysphoria. And that's one of the provisions, you know, and again, from my perspective, one of the, the th- you know, advice I would hand off to the next state that's going to undergo uh, this process, I would say attack the issue and envelop it. You know, a lawsuit and investigation are just components of a larger strategy to envelop the issue. Senate Bill 49, which we successfully defended at the trial court level, was the statute that our General Assembly enacted. And it provides a a private cause of action. And it extends the statute of limitation for private claims up to 15 years. Because a lot of times, the the health negative health consequences aren't fully realized until much later in life. 
And so having that 15-year statute of limitations is a key component. And between the investigation that we've launched, the litigation, and that provision, what you're seeing is these clinics are, are surrendering. The, we've received the articles of surrender because they realize that the liability has gotten to a point, an unacceptable point for them. Now, you were at the tip of the spear on this, and I, I, I know what that's like having done some first-in-the-nation legislation. So you're, you're going to run into the strongest resistance. How much money was on the other side that you encountered? There is a, uh, an industry behind this, uh, you know, intellectuals, billionaires who have propped this up as pseudoscience and sold a bill of goods to everyone else that, that somehow this is a sound medical practice when, in fact, it's not. And, and again, you know, part of our litigation strategy in, in defending our statute was to actually have live testimony. Go to court. Plaintiffs, ACLU, you want to stop the law? You've got the burden of proof. Put on your experts, and we're going to cross-examine them. And exactly like you said, under cross-examination, they buckled. They had to acknowledge the fact that their studies were limited, that there was a causation correlation issue with their studies. And they ignored the science coming out of Europe showing that these procedures are dangerous and have long-term negative irreversible health consequences. And when you put it to the test and you put it out there in open court and, the, and you have – we had detransitioners testify, again, victims, to, to talk about these stories and, and show the real-life human impact to, to this uh, parade of horribles. And that's really compelling. And I would advise, you know, other states as they undergo a defense of their statutes. I think that's a winning strategy. We coordinated with other state attorneys general who had been through it before. Uh, we, we took lessons learned from them, wove that into a successful litigation strategy, and are ready to hand that off now to other states. But it's comprehensive. I, I, again, Attorney General, thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, just... Watching how that has actually happened very quickly in Missouri, and, and again, you've been driving, and I want to thank you for that. Jennifer, I want to go to you. Uh, you come out of the academic world. Not only are you a trauma uh, counselor, you work in, in, in that area, but you, you also have taught, you know, good research from bad research, and the attorney general made reference to this. We're seeing a lot of junk science behind this. Can you speak to that? Well, um, I think that what we're seeing, and not just this issue, but a lot of issues, we're seeing the white coat get stripped off of people. And we're seeing what's really behind uh, a lot of the research that's coming out. And, and again, not just this issue. This issue is, you know, rife with all kinds of problems. But, um, you know, we're seeing how people coming from a certain worldview are researching. For example... If you look at uh, federal election data, you look at 100% of research psychologists gave to a liberal candidate. So, you know, you, you have to keep that in mind. They're the ones that are creating the discourse. They're the ones that are creating the therapies that we use. And uh, I'll never forget in my doctoral studies, uh, I had a professor who said, no Christian would ever get into this program. And, and I sat there and thinking, well, here I am. (laughs) (laughs) So, wow, how that happened. Um, But the reason he said that is because we don't, we as a field, as researchers, as scientists, we don't want to let go of control over the discourse. We want to keep it in a certain line. And so when it comes to the transgender issue and many others, I'll let you fill in the gap. Um, What we want to keep that discourse going in that transgender um, affirming care is helpful for mental health. So you get someone in, in, the, in the mix like me who's going to actually ask a research question and, and try to study it from an pr- uh, objective standpoint, um, I'm going to get shut down. I'm going to have trouble publishing. I'm going to have trouble um, uh, getting, uh, if I'm going for a tenure track position and an academic position, I'm going to have trouble getting my tenure Etc. So there are all kinds of gatekeepers that are keeping the scientific discourse under control, and that is 100% the case in these studies. So it's not just like the fox guarding the hen house, it's the fox doing the security analysis (laughs) for the hen house. (laughs) On the the video, uh, the the trailer we saw, the, 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 the father responded to something we see over and over again, and that is if you don't go down this path, you're either going to have a dead child if you don't accept their transition into another sex. Is that something that is commonly used to pressure parents? Yeah, 
This line is so antithetical to the counseling field and to a, a field that is meant to lift people up and, and a deal with root issues. And what we're seeing right now with the transgender issue is a field that has gone completely off the rails and is using manipulation instead of healing. Um, this, is, this is not a good practice. And anyone who threatens suicide, um, that, that issue needs to be dealt with in a crisis context. It doesn't need to be used as, give me whatever I want, or else I'm going to commit suicide. Um, that's just, that's not good practice. You know, we can't run our lives that way. I used to work in domestic violence, and we would have uh, people who were being abused, and the, the spouse or other person would say, you know, if you leave me, I'm going to commit suicide. You know, that's a reality we have to deal with. But does that mean I have to live my whole life around this? And and we need to support people who are struggling with that. But we cannot legislate or practice medicine based on a threat. That's that's called control. General, that almost sounds criminal. It is is coercion. That is not consent. That is coercion. Is, would be the legal definition for what's going on there. And certainly that we saw that in the whistleblower's affidavit that so many of the parents, you know, they would be standing there with the child who's supposed to be the, the patient. Mm-hmm. And a clinician would say, do you want a, a, a live son or a dead daughter? And, hit, and injecting suicide into the conversation where it didn't exist before. Right. Th- this isn't treatment of a mental health condition. This is, you know, making it worse. And so, again, that, from a legal perspective, that is not consent. That is coercion obtained under duress. But this is being done behind closed doors in these traumatic situations where parents are desperate. And so this is not getting out until, till, till now. How, how are lawmakers and policymakers in the legal community to, to work with that one particular issue there? Again, I think that that's criminal. Yeah, you know, and, and again, that was so much of uh, the emergency rule that we promulgated was, was ensuring that the, there were some safeguards that the, and that the parents have a voice. The other thing that we've noticed is that all too often uh, the, the clinic would target parents most likely to give consent, that they thought that they could coerce. So they would separate the parents, exclude the parent that would, have, would object, and then isolate the one that they were most likely to be able to coerce into, these, uh, into this path towards sterilization. In your investigations, were you able to determine percentages in terms of parents who objected as opposed to those who submitted to these medical recommendations? Yeah, the overwhelming majority had serious concerns and questions and, again, were, were forced down this path of sterilization. Uh, it, it, you know, it is, it is a rare occurrence, based on the evidence that I've looked at, that, that parents are eager to subject their children to sterilization. That they, oftentimes it required coercion uh, in order to obtain, quote-unquote, consent. And again, I, I would submit, as a legal matter, that is not consent. Jennifer, I, I want to go to you. It's going to kind of bring our panel to a close here. How are we to love in the context of this issue? Amy made reference to this. And, and, and I want to set the stage as I ans- ask this question, is that in our society today, we've conflated the terms love and affirmation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's the society is saying, well, if you really love your child, as the general was saying, you would do this. Yeah. But is that really love? Yeah, and I think that's the problem of where we're at is that we've, we've misunderstood or we've communicated that love is love. Love is whatever you think it should be. But love is actually a person. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and and um, he's, he's shown us the way to love people well. And love is always connected to power. You see, you look at, look at Jesus's life and he, he, he never left people in their stuff. You know, he always reached out. He was always demonstrating his love for, for humanity. And, and I think that the exciting thing about this topic is if we could find something exciting about this topic is the fact that we have a generation that is searching for love. It's searching for identity. And here we are, this great group of people, you know, armed with the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with truth, ready to serve and ready to see a generation that, that is going to be touched with God 
and is really going to know what their true identity is because, you know, dry wood burns fast. And we have a lot of dry wood in our country that needs the fire of the Holy Spirit to come in. <laughs> so. Well, Jennifer, General Bailey, um, I want to thank you for being here with us today. Brandon, thank you. Amy, thank you. And, and uh, as we conclude our time together, Amy, can we pray for you? Absolutely. Would you join me in, in praying for for Amy and, and for the, the mothers and the fathers that are in the same position that she has been in. Father, we know that you hear our prayers and we lift up Amy to you and, and all of the moms and all of the dads that have been forced down this path. Lord, we just ask for your grace, your mercy, and your comfort. And I thank you for Amy for being willing to share her story so that others might see the early warning signs and, and put up those guards and defenses and, 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 and help pull their children back from this abyss. And I want to pray right now for Amy and for her daughter that, Lord, they would once again be reunited in the design that you have for them. Lord, I pray that Amy would not lose hope, but, Lord, that her hope would be renewed each day. Her strength would be renewed. Lord, her joy would overflow because you, you are her strength. You are her joy and her peace. And so I pray, Lord, she would continue to be an example to other parents. And, Lord, we do pray for Daniel. And I pray for General Bailey and for Jennifer and for those that are exposing this demonic agenda that is destroying our children, leading them down a destructive and dangerous path. Lord, may you shine a bright light on this. And may you strengthen all of those who have joined together to stand for truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of Washington Watch. What you just heard was the conclusion of a panel discussion that we held at our 2023 Pray Vote Stand Summit this past September in Washington, D.C. The, the session was titled When the Gender Battle Hits Home, and it featured Missouri State Attorney General Andrew Bailey, Christian Post writer and commentator Brandon Showalter, FRC Center for Family Studies Dr. Jennifer Bowens, and parent activist Amy Atterbury. And uh, there was a lot of other great sessions and speakers at this year's summit. So once again, if you missed it or you'd like to go back and look at some of it again, all of it, you can find it at prayvotestand.org. Let me once again invite you to join with the Family Research Council and partner with us. And for any gift, any tax-deductible gift over $30, we'll send you a copy of this year's new Stand on the Word journal. Just text GIVE to 67742. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6 when he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 